And welcome back to Harry Potter and the Reread Podcast. I am your host, David Jansen, and joined, as always, by my co-host, Kyle Jans. Kyle, how are you? Good. We are both looking fresh with some haircuts, and it's a sign of things reopening, and that's been feeling pretty good. Um, Out here, we managed to do, like, this crazy ziplining course the other day which was a lot of fun and not quite what I expected in in regards to like the amount of physical exertion amongst the uh (laughs) amongst going out there but that was a lot of fun and I don't know it's just kind of nice like feeling like there's like plans to look forward to on weekends and things kind of slowly opening up which I feel like is is a positive sign going forward I think so I I mean Things are going to have to open eventually. So if we've got to that point, we've got to that point. We'll see what happens. Things here are uh, going outside is now a disaster because it's just or at like a 10 plus on the scale of zero to 10 air quality because the forest fires in the surrounding area have just gone out of control. So it's just like you step outside and you just can barely breathe. It's crazy. It's like legitimately crazy. That's so horrible. Oh, that is yeah. not ideal. It's but not great. At least the temperatures are no longer 35 every day. <laughs> I feel like they things. normally be 35, but the reason why it isn't 35 is because the smoke is just blocking the sun. Yeah, probably the sun out. Yeah, probably. <laughs> All right, what are we talking? What are we talking about today? Today we are going through Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 12, the Polyjuice Potion, and uh, Chapter 13, the Very Secret Diary. Things are picking up now. Things are are definitely picking up to, I found to be pretty enjoyable chapters. Um, Lots lots going on, a lot of stuff that we'll be able to talk about here. Both, um, yeah, yeah, just some interesting stuff in regards to the the diary that I I found. And then of course- I really like the the diary chapter. Um, Yeah. The first one, which will, apologies, post so much, we'll, we'll go through. I found it more of like a setup, like more, not setup, sorry, setup's not the right word. It was more- just a bunch of explanations of stuff. Nothing like particularly happened, but we'll, we'll go through it and I'll, I'll lead you through it and we'll, we'll talk about what did happen uh, in there. Take so the chapter starts off with Harry in Dumbledore's office, hoping that he doesn't get expelled. He finds the sorting hat sitting in the corner. He puts it on his head and it sort of reinforces its original idea that Harry would have done well in Slytherin, which was not what Harry wanted to hear. He also meets Dumbledore's bird fox, who immediately bursts into flames. But then Dumbledore appears and he explains to Harry that Fox is a phoenix and phoenixes do burst into flames and catch on fire as part of their life cycle. They're reborn and he sort of explained that, you know, they're very useful pets. They're incredibly loyal. They're very strong. Their tears have healing power, et cetera, et cetera. So Hagrid then bursts into Dumbledore's office to tell him that Harry didn't do anything. But Dumbledore assures Hagrid that he already knew Harry wasn't the uh, instigator of all the attacks. But he does ask Harry if there's anything he wants to tell him, and Harry says no, despite that not being true. But everyone in the school now is pretty worried after all the attacks, and they're sort of steering clear of Harry, but Fred and George uh, find this hilarious. Uh, And so they're making jokes and comments and leading him through the halls, and this actually makes Harry feel better that they would think it was so outlandish that they can joke about it and they're not taking him too seriously or or scared of him. So uh, props to them for that. The term had finally ended and their polyjuice potion was ready to go. So Hermione had worked out a plan to occupy Crab and Goyle by filling some cupcakes with some sleeping drought. And the boys tried to argue the validity of this plan, but Hermione was not interested in hearing it. She is going to go as Millicent Bulstrode and she had grabbed the hair off her robe during the dueling club. Surprisingly to the boys, everything uh, that was in Hermione's plan for tricking Crab and Goyle went exactly according to the plan. But as they're getting ready to leave after taking the polyjuice, uh, Hermione says to go on without them, or sorry, for them to go on without her. So Ron and Harry leave without Hermione, but they don't actually know where the common room Slytherin is, so they go in search search of a Slytherin to follow. They end up running into Percy, but Malfoy shows up and uh, he takes them to the common room. So Malfoy shows them a a clipping from the Daily Prophet prophet 
that explains that Arthur Weasley has been fined 50 galleons for bewitching the car. And he goes on for a bit complaining about muggles and muggle-borns and just your generic, I think I'm better than you uh, items. But he does wish that he knew who the hair, who the hair of Slytherin, heir of Slytherin was. And he's very annoyed that people think it's Harry. Um, he does, they do get him to reveal that whoever opened the Chamber of Secrets the first time was expelled. And they get him to reveal uh, where Lucius Malfoy keeps his dark arts stuff in the house. When they get back to the, uh, the girls' bathroom after a quick escape when the Polyjuice Potion started to wear off, they find out that Hermione has partially transformed into a cat because it was a cat hair on the robe that she had plucked off. And the potion is not meant for animals. A lot of talking, a lot of context in this chapter, but not really a lot of action, but still a good chapter. Yeah, I mean, let's let's kind of start at the beginning here, uh, going back to where Harry is in Dumbledore's office. Um, last week we had touched on, oh, is it uh, is it his office? Is this where he lives? But it does seem like it's just his his office. Just his office on the yeah. description of it. Um, yeah. Key thing here, though, I mean, like we can talk a lot about um, about the you know the the description of the office and and our Phoenix friend and stuff a little bit later on, but. Ultimately, what it comes down to here is Dumbledore asking a question to Harry. Hey, is anything going on? And Harry essentially saying, nope, everything's fine, even though clearly everything is not fine. Should, should Harry have told Dumbledore what was going on, you think? So, I mean, I think the obvious answer is yes. If you go through the thoughts that Harry was having, I don't think there's anything wrong about him telling that Malfoy had made the, like, you'll be next mudbloods comments. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, you probably shouldn't tell him that you're planning to use a polyjuice potion to break into the Slytherin common room, so you could leave that out. But you know that Dumbledore is sort of, a, like, an oddball. You could, you could tell him about the hearing voices. I, I don't think he's going to think that's necessarily that odd. If you're worried that you're Slytherin's heir, I feel like Dumbledore is probably a, a good person to talk to. You already know that he knew your parents. He might know a little bit about their lineage. He might be able to help ease your fears of this as to why it wouldn't be true. I don't really think, I, I couldn't come up with any arguments as to why he shouldn't tell him. They haven't, at this point, keep in mind, they haven't done anything wrong. They haven't broken any rules. He's not going to be at risk of being expelled if they leave the polyjuice portion out, of course. So I, I don't have any arguments for why they she shouldn't have explained at least some of what was going on. Yeah, I mean, Dumbledore's already kind of shown in the last book that he's fine with Harry maybe breaking rules and kind of encouraging him to go out there and kind of seek some truths out with the invisibility cloak, of course. So, I mean, like, it's not totally out of context that they would be kind of devising this polyjuice potion plan but yeah ultimately it's again like another example of how this entire series is based on the entire premise of kids just not telling adults about their problems when kids could have made when adults could have made it better yeah ultimately the only thing that I could think of is that Harry would just be concerned about you know getting yeah like you said getting in trouble for the potion brewing or having having voices in his head but it just it doesn't make sense to me that he wouldn't say it. Um, of course, what's kind of interesting, and we'll touch on it again next chapter, is another similar uh, scenario uh, such as this. But yeah, ultimately, should have been normal. It should have been something that Harry felt comfortable telling Dumbledore about and probably would have alleviated some of the trial and error process that they were about to go through with, with Malfoy. But yeah. Yeah, I think even like, even if he just asks him or he just tells him like everybody thinks I'm the heir of Slytherin and, and I don't think I am and just tell him like, I didn't know I could talk to like just even just a little bit saying nothing. Just he is the person who, you know, you can trust. Like he is that, that in that position of, of helping. I don't know. It just seems, it just seems like a massive misstep for our, our lead hero here. Mm -hmm. No, I definitely agree. Curious to see as we progress. Well, I think he does, but he gets more of a closer relationship with Dumbledore where I think he's a little more open in being able to tell him a lot of this stuff that he's thinking. I feel like at this point, he's still so young and still doesn't have a whole 
grasp of what the entire situation is about and his importance in the role of like this entire story and his entire prophecy and everything related to him and Voldemort. So he doesn't realize it yet. He thinks what he's going through is pretty isolating, but he, I think he eventually learns that there are others around him who understand him and, and want to support him, but ultimately not, not quite there yet. <laughs> not quite there yet. So do you think, moving on, do you think their plan was a success? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I kind of think of this of like any other mystery or, or investigative case, like where you're trying to solve like a crime or a murder or something. You, you have a lead, you follow it, you collect whatever information you can. And just because you're following a lead doesn't mean it's going to be the answer. But at least once you hit a dead end, you can use whatever information you collected to readjust and find a new plan of attack. It just kind of what they they do here i mean they at least get yeah. confirmation that malfoy was indeed not the the, not the Slytherin. yeah i agree I, I it obviously didn't go according to their plan they were expecting to catch malfoy but they didn't get caught they didn't get in trouble so mm -hmm. that's a bonus and they know way more than they did before they know as you said they know it's not malfoy they know now specifically that it was opened 50 years ago Mm -hmm. I don't know if they knew that before, just that it had been open before. I think they'd heard rumors know, or something, yeah. Yeah, but that's double confirmation there. And it was before Lucius Malfoy's time. Um, they get some bonus information about how to get Lucius Malfoy in trouble. Mm -hmm. And they know that Malfoy doesn't know, which is actually quite a big clue. Because I would imagine if it had been happening in Slytherin, the chances of Malfoy knowing are much, much higher. Mm -hmm. So... I think it does give them some information. It just doesn't necessarily give them the information they thought they were going to get. No, that's exactly it. So, I mean, I could see why they were disappointed ultimately for, for how it ended. But yeah, ultimately, yeah. I mean, besides Hermione turning herself into a cat, it was a pretty... Cat pretty person. Into a cat person. Pretty, yeah. successful, uh, pretty successful endeavor for them. Yeah, ultimately. not so bad. Not so bad. Uh, was it worth the effort they put into it? That you could argue no. That's, they put a lot yeah. of effort into it and they didn't really get that much, but they put the effort in. They got info out. Not a bad, not a bad plan. I mean, ultimately they could have done nothing and just waited until the point in the upcoming chapter that we'll discuss where we will, where, yeah, they'll learn and eventually get the answers that they need. But ultimately they didn't really have to do this, but at least like they, they went in thinking they were so confident that it had to be Malfoy that mm -hmm. by learning this information, it at least kind of sets them on a, on a new path. Yeah, definitely. Some stuff here that I didn't remember from this chapter, they just, the amount of Percy that we're getting, like there's a lot, like mm -hmm. if there's any like a side character plot point it's him and it's not necessarily driving the plot forward in any meaningful way it's just here's percy here's percy here's percy and i just didn't remember him being so involved yeah no i, I think that's a good point like there he is in the dungeons kind of sneaking around trying to figure out what exactly is is going on and solving it we see him taking on his his new role of prefect very seriously which i think very is seriously. just a way for us to kind of learn through a character what exactly the role of the prefect and, mm -hmm. and head boy is so i mean it serves its he, purpose there he definitely plays a lot uh like a big important role like literary wise they use him to explain a lot of things they use him to introduce us to a lot of things but i just like from a plot like if i'm writing out the plot points i just so many of them don't like interact with him mm -hmm. that it's just surprising to see him this often because well, I, I mean i just didn't not necessarily surprising but i just didn't remember well even going like right back to when harry arrives at the what's their house at not the whomping willow at the, at the, the burrow at the burrow that's it even when they arrive at the burrow we still get like a good descriptor of, of what percy is like at home and kind of acting like differently and much more serious a little more not as interested in the family as usual so i mean like we kind of get like the vibe that he's kind of like the odd duck of the family and yeah it keeps getting pushed in further and further in, in this book. Anything you didn't remember? More so just a couple of observations, but like Malfoy was once again obsessed with talking about Harry. And it seems yeah. like like that happened in the in the very beginning in Nocturnally mm -hmm. when he doesn't know that Harry's around. And of course he's talking about 
um, about Harry once again, and then unknowingly talking about Harry and all these other things. So, I mean, it just further establishes that he has kind of this obsession with him, I feel like. Uh, so, I mean, like between that and then just kind of the callback to Lucius selling some of his dark, dark art stuff in that Nocturnale um, yeah. chapter and leading to the reveal of their house being raided. So I just, I don't know, just a couple of those little things in the callback. I think we're starting to see more of the wizarding world politics at play here. Mm -hmm. We don't really get that a lot in the first book, but now we're starting to kind of see a little bit more of that outside picture outside of Hogwarts. Yeah, I I also didn't remember the whole newspaper clipping of, of Arthur Weasley so work inquiry, which which fits nicely into my what doesn't make sense transition, because why is this in the newspaper? You I think, think it's so, so. So let me let me ask you. Let me, the only thing I could think of here, and I'll, I'll take your into is it, do you think because he's a public official, specifically in this um, like sector of the government, and it's like you broke the rules, you're investigating, so we have to publicly shame you for it. Yeah, I think ultimately it's it's like any other public official. If they get okay. fined or do something wrong in our government, that's something that is ultimately written about to keep them accountable. Okay. So I think that that's kind of... Maybe that does make sense. Thing. All right. Yeah. All right. So what do you have that actually doesn't make sense? Okay, there's a brief mention that it's Christmas, of course, and that mm-hmm. they're giving out gifts. Um, Harry also happens to get a note or a letter from Hedwig that day from the Dursleys. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering, like, how did the Dursleys even get this note to Harry? Does it go from regular post to wizarding post? Did Hedwig I'm sure there's like show up? In the Muggle post office, there's like a sorting procedure. It's, they just use some magic. <laughs> a special P.O. box that magic. they put it in or yeah. something. Yeah, I'm sure there's lots of Muggle families who want to write notes to their children at Hogwarts. Like, there's probably like an address they can address it to, and and it gets shipped there, and then the owls pick it up or something. I just had the idea of like the Dursleys willingly using an owl to send Harry. Uh, I don't think. No, I don't think. I don't think that would have been it. So that didn't really work out. That didn't make sense to me. And then just more so, Hermione had seemed to think out every single part of the plan except for this part like where she was going to be millicent so i had this too and this exact thing too like if you're looking at someone like so i will tell you something all the clothes in my house are covered in hair none of it is my hair well like okay there's that with the like i see what you're referencing with the dog hair and stuff but like my thing was that she would be like, oh, I'm Millicent. She's gone for Christmas, but I'll just tell everyone that I decided to come back. Meanwhile, she'd be there for an hour and then disappear. Like, wouldn't that cause red flags for people if she was saying she was there and then Maybe. she was there and then disappeared? Maybe. That, was, that was my thing that really didn't make sense to me. Or it's going to be like, what are you talking about? I didn't say I was going to come back. And Malfoy would be like, I spoke to you. And she'd be like, no, you didn't. And then he would just... Uh, like he, no one would really be able to back it up because it was only only she only would have had to explain it to the people who saw her in that hour she was Millicent, I guess. Yeah, but even, just a little bit even of a crab and hole. even crab and Goyle to a point. Like, yeah, w- couldn't they go back to Malfoy and be like, "Whoa, we just woke up in a closet," which is where Harry and, think, and Ron had hidden them. I think uh, I think Malfoy would just write that off as you guys are idiots. The way that he talks think, to them, we, we get to see that, right? Like what he yeah, talks think, to them like. And I think that's why they were excellent marks for this, because they're just idiots. There was one line in there that I believe makes it into the movies that I really like that wasn't in the book, but I think Harry forgets to take off his glasses and he's like, oh crap, I didn't know you knew how to read or coil or whichever one it was. Yeah. I remember that line. And it was a good movie good. edition. But yeah, yeah. That, that was specifically a movie edition. Anything else um, that didn't make sense for you? Yeah, so at the beginning of the chapter, when they're talking about Christmas, it mentions that all the Weasleys had chosen to stay instead of going with their parents to visit Bill in Egypt. I don't know why Ginny did not go to Egypt. She's having a terrible time. The diary is, like, taken over. She's upset about everything. Why not get out of the castle? That's a good point. I mean, 
if she did leave the castle, then she wouldn't have been able to throw the diary into the toilet the next chapter. Actually, that was during the school year, so that doesn't matter. But um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I don't really know why that is. Why she wouldn't? I, I would think she would have wanted to get out of there just to try and reset. Um, and then I just thought it was weird that Harry and Ron just left Hermione without pressing any further. But there were on a time limit, so maybe they're just like, whatever. If she doesn't want to come, we don't have time to waste. But it just seems weird that they were just like, oh, okay, let's go. It, it, yeah, it is a little odd, but I, I think ultimately, yeah, it is that that time thing that would have had to play an impact on it. Yeah, they could have debated it or tried to guide her a little bit more, but I guess she felt pretty confident that she wasn't coming out of there. Yeah, that, and then just like, I was also just kind of wondering, like, again, they had planned everything out, except then why didn't they kind of scout where the Slytherin common room was so before? I thought about that, and then I just sort of assumed that Hermione knew where it was. That could um, be a good point. Yeah. Because you're right. Otherwise, that's a terrible oversight because they only have an hour before the potion wears off. Yeah, um, a, lot, a lot of things that could have been expedited if they knew that they were on that specific time limit because even then they barely got enough time in to yeah. get it done to the point where they exactly. were starting to transform and had to book it out of the common room before Malfoy even noticed. So Exactly. Yeah. So that was my thought is that that was part of Hermione's responsibilities and they didn't even think about it. They mentioned at the end that Madame Pomfrey doesn't ask too many questions. Madame Pomfrey should constantly be asking questions. So last, last chapter or last book, I mean, Ron got bit by a dragon. Now Hermione has turned herself into a cat. And I get that crazy stuff is probably happening here all the time because these kids are attempting magic that they're not good enough at. But like she should be making sure that nothing malicious is happening, nothing bad. She should be constantly asking Jeff questions. She doesn't yeah. have to report them, but she should be asking the questions. Well, that's exactly it, right? Like even if it's just like I'm assuming that you get the same patient doctor confidentiality yeah, type sure. thing. You, that should be a thing if in the yeah. wizarding world. If it's not, then that's probably an issue. But that's for an entire other discussion. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, to to just show up as a cat is over the holidays too because so it's not like they were act well i mean they could actively or pretending to be actively practicing magic i know that yeah i mean like you could make up a lie but but you should still be asking questions it seems like yeah they they obviously made up a lie here and i guess in the wizarding world it is reasonable that you could be like oh you're practicing some kind of transfiguration and turn someone into a cat but yeah still a little little suspicious for sure a lot a lot we don't really talk about it as much but like i really loved the like kind of the symbolic foreshadowing in this first in the early chapter here in dumbledore's office so we get to meet fox the phoenix who of course burns to the ashes and then is born anew and this of course happening at a time when Harry is going to have to like directly correlate to that one day in regards to kind of burning from the ashes and, and be born anew in, in the future there all kind of tied in with Dumbledore and his teachings as well the phoenix so yep. I thought that, that was just kind of neat and then also just knowing what we know now about Hagrid barging into the office to prevent Harry from being mm-hmm. expelled for something that he didn't do was admirable. And of course, obviously very personal to him given reasons that we'll get into a little bit next chapter as, as well. So yeah, I just, I thought that those were kind of two very interesting little, little points and, and interesting parts. No, that's good. Those are good call outs. Yeah, for sure. Only quote I had because it further supplements my, my point that I made the previous uh, book about Hagrid enjoying the drink. Uh, <laughs> they're, so they're out there over Christmas and they're singing Christmas carols and Hagrid booming more and more loudly with each goblet of eggnog he consumed. Eggnog. Yeah. Eggnog, yes. I mean, I'm sure there was eggnog in the goblet. Yeah, that, that, that's fair, but there was some other stuff too. <laughs> Maybe some other stuff in there. I had a couple quotes actually this time. I had one from either Fred or George. I didn't write it down. It doesn't really change the context. Yeah, he's nipping off to the Chamber of Secrets for a cup of tea with his fanged servant. And I just thought, interesting that they assumed the servant would be a snake and the, the monster is a snake. And like, if you would think that there's this, like, this, people should have figured out it was a basilisk more. That's, that's what yeah. this quote, that's what this quote, that's what this quote sort of uh, clued me in on. It's like, oh, yeah what would be a really scary monster that could live in a castle for hundreds of years that might be related to Slytherin? 
it makes sense for sure. And I kind of thought that too, like, oh, how did, how did they know? Or are they just joking at it? And the only connection I made was that it was obviously like, maybe they mentioned the fangs, the fanged monster, AKA a snake, because that's what Harry was communicating with. So, I mean, therefore they make that connection, but yeah, no, that, that was kind of the thing too. It's kind of interesting that that was brought upon because like, Fred or George or whoever it was, they'd just become interchangeable for most of this series anyway. But um, yeah, it was so close, so close without even realizing. And then I had a good one from Ron who said, have you ever heard of a plan where so many things could go wrong? And it was just another example of, this is a nice like cutting quote from Ron and we just do not see this version of him in the movie. It's just not there. Yeah. Um, and then my last one, uh, similar to something we had found in the first book of Percy being exempl- like quotes that just exemplify who Percy is and Percy's beliefs. I am a prefect. Nothing's going to attack me. He's so out to lunch and so overconfident over something that does not deserve your confidence because it doesn't matter. No basilisk is going to be stopping and not going to kill you because you have a prefect. And I know, and I know it sets up some payoff uh, shortly that we're going to come across at some point here, but it's just funny. And that's <laughs> what he thinks. That's what he thinks. And we, future on the road, we get that Percy has these beliefs and he just, it gets shaken to the core when his beliefs are, are proved uh, to be false. So it gives us some good time or some good segue to talk about maybe some LVP options for this chapter. Yeah, I have a feeling Percy might be one of yours. Um, I I didn't have Percy. I kind of left it up to yeah. The I left him off this as chapter. Well. He didn't. Um, he wasn't too bad. Craig, Craig and Joyle, Craig and Joyle, Crab and Goyle, um, each got onto my my list here. Kind of combined just for deciding that eating any other any old food that is just kind of inconspicuously placed in the hallway is is safe. It goes back to like that 90s Canadians uh, commercial, like the, the don't you put it in your mouth type thing. Because <laughs> the PSA, yeah. The PSA. Yeah, it's good. And, yeah. uh, and so that and then Malfoy just kind of being terrible and wishing death. Up, like he actually wishes death upon Hermione in this chapter saying that last time the chamber opened, a muggle di- or a muggle-born died. I hope it's Granger, Hermione he this did. time. And that's, did. that's terrible. I don't think he it's, actually realizes the impact of this. No, he doesn't. But it's still terrible. He also just like, Malfoy's on my list as well. He just like revealed a shit ton of information that ended up probably not being very beneficial for him to have revealed. So. Yeah. I mean, ultimately he thought he was in a safe space and did get bamboozled pretty hard there by, uh, by Ron mm-hmm. and Harry. But yeah. um. In this chapter, I ended up going with Crab and Goyle because they kind of, I don't know, the stupidity of, they literally just ate five or six helpings at the great feast or for their Christmas dinner and then decided to eat some more random stuff in the hallway that got them locked up into a closet with no shoes. So yeah, I, I went with Crab and Goyle uh, combined in this one. That's fair. There again, there's, there's like Fred and George, they're one person. Uh, I actually decided... So um, other people I considered Hermione uh, for not realizing she had cat hair and not human hair. Mm-hmm. Um, Malfoy, like I said, I thought Dumbledore for not pushing Harry, but conversely, I thought Harry for not revealing to Dumbledore. And, and I've actually gone Harry here. He just, he had the opportunity to get some clarity on some of the stuff that had been troubling him so bad in a, in essentially like a, a, like a free, like a free, he had like a free shot. Like he didn't bring it up himself. Somebody came to him. He didn't have to worry about getting himself into trouble. Like there was really no downside to get answers to some of the things that have been bothering him. And he just chose not to. Um, you're, you're, it's a very good point. Like it was a golden moment of opportunity for him. He had Dumbledore one-on-one in like a very private and open, like a very private setting with a very open-minded individual. And he chose not to take it. Like, if he would have said something, I think he would have gotten so much value out of that and maybe learned some things about himself at that point, as opposed to maybe later on, like, I don't know, maybe if he would have come up 
saying that he was concerned about these things maybe Dumbledore would have seen like enough maturity in him to reveal some of his past a little bit more like Mm -hmm. I don't know I think it could open up so many doors for him so I think that's a good pick what about the flip side what do you have for people who you like this chapter on the flip side of Crabbe and Goyle Fred and George I thought played like kind of a good fun role in this chapter while Harry's feeling pretty isolated from everyone they're kind of making jokes out of it and while the jokes are maybe a little off color um joking about him being the heir of Slytherin and watch out or I'll kill you next or attack you next and that type of stuff with some it, good levity for Harry it, 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 it was helping him yeah yeah it makes him feel better so that um Ron did take advantage of a situation of being able to learn where more about Malfoy's dark art stuff is and um is going to use that as as ammunition to get back at the Malfoys, as the Malfoys had clearly played a pretty big impact in in um, Arthur being fined for for his role in the in the bewitching of of the Muggle car. So Ron took advantage of that, and then I thought Hagrid also had a good, pretty good role, even though it was a small one. But he came in wanting to save the day, wanting to use his experiences for the the betterment. So I mean. Ultimately, it was for not because he didn't have to worry about that, but I appreciated that he was going to step in there and, and help Harry out. Um, I had a tough time really picking. I, I mean, I've kind of just laid them out, but I didn't actually really pick one. I think I'll have to go with Ron, though, maybe. Because I, I, when, I, when I think about all three of those impacts, yeah, it's nice that the twins helped Harry feel good for a moment. Yeah, it's good that Hagrid came in and, and tried to make a difference, even though he didn't need to. I think Ron's has the most long-lasting impact in regards to helping his family. And while it came more from a place of spite and anger, as opposed to maybe being like a very valuable or noble thing to do, I think it was still, he used that information to his advantage. So I got, I'd, I'll have to give it to him. Yeah, I went with Ron too, actually. Um... I thought he had a bunch of good quotes, so not even just the one I, I revealed. Mm. But and then I thought he told his dad where to find all the Malfoy junk. Just uh, he he got them out of. We didn't talk about this specifically, but he got them out of the common room in time. So mm-hmm. uh, so I went with Ron as well. That's it. That's it for the Polyjuice Potion chapter. Good chapter. Mm-hmm. Again, sort of like a slow burn, action wise, but we got some good info for sure. Yeah, it sets it up for um, chapter thirteen. The Very Secret Diary. So Hermione's uh, been in the hospital for a few weeks now at this point, and it's been causing people to think that she's actually the next muggle-born that's been attacked. Ron and Harry are now visiting nightly with her to deliver homework. So that night, uh, Ron and Harry are, are heading back from the hospital wing, and they, they hear Felchie's complaining upstairs loudly about some additional cleaning that needs to be done. So they go up there to see what's going on and they realize that Myrtle's bathroom has been flooded completely. So they go in and they see that Myrtle's been wailing and causing a scene because someone actually threw something at her within the bathroom. It's revealed, they pick up this diary and it reveals a few things. It reveals that it's old, it is 50 years old precisely. It was likely bought at a muggle shop and it belonged to a person named T.M. Riddle. And he won a special service award as well. This is uh, revealed by Ron as he had to repeatedly shine his name during his detention when, uh, with Filch earlier on in the book. Hermione's now finally back to human form and Harry and Ron show her the diary. And she makes the connection right away that Riddle's diary is 50 years old. He won the award 50 years ago and the chamber was also open 50 years ago. So it could all be connected and that maybe he actually won the award for uh, catching the heir of Slytherin. They investigate a little bit further on the trophy cabinets later that day. And they also see that uh, this TM Riddle name is on a magical merit award, as well as a list of old head boys that are, uh, that have been at Hogwarts. Attacks have subsided at this point. It seems like it slowed down. It might've potentially stopped. And our friend Glittery Lockhart is convinced that he somehow stopped the all, all the attacks. So to celebrate, he hosts a grand Valentine's Day breakfast in the Great Hall. It's complete with these dwarves that are 
carrying around harps and wearing rings, uh, wings and handing out Valentine's Day cards all day to the students. The dwarves are interrupting classes all day in, and in the hallways. And in one chaotic scene, Harry is uh, tracked down by a very determined dwarf who ends up chasing him down and sitting on his legs, causing a commotion and his books uh, scramble all over the place. And the dwarf sits on his legs in order to deliver a musical Valentine in front of a bunch of people in the hallways, including uh, Ginny and Malfoy. After the commotion of the song and being knocked over by the dwarf, Malfoy picks up the diary that Harry had with him. Um, Harry, though, responds by using Expelliarmus in the hallways to get the diary out of Malfoy's hands. And Malfoy makes a remark about Harry didn't really like uh, the Valentine's gift from Ginny, in front of Ginny. So Harry also realizes that something else of interest, during the commotion, all of the ink that was spilled on the book stayed there with the exception of the diary. Harry decides to go to bed early that night, starts writing in the diary, realizing that the words actually vanish into the page and he receives a response. So he's communicating to someone within the diary. Harry starts talking to a man named Tom Riddle and we reveal that he was around at the time of the chamber opening and he actually caught the person that did it. Says he received his trophy for catching this person but was told to keep his mouth shut about what really happened passing it off as a freak accident and uh, kind of keeping Hogwarts's uh, reputation intact. Tom offers to take Harry through the memory of, his, of that night that he caught the person and Harry agrees. So he gets sucked into the book and becomes involved in the memory here, though he can't communicate with anyone. And it starts in the headmaster's office, but it's not Professor Dumbledore, it's Professor Tippett. Uh, Tom Riddle comes in and it's revealed that he had actually asked Tippett for permission to live at Hogwarts over the summer. It's revealed that Tom is a half-blood orphan. He lives at a muggle orphanage during the summers. He had a witch mother and a muggle father. Under normal circumstances, Tippett says Tom that might have been able to stay, but with the attacks going on, it's very dangerous and he can't stop and he can't stay. Tom asks, though, what if the attacks stop? And Tippett asks Tom if he has any information or knows anything about them, to which Tom says no, uh, similar to in a way that Harry had in the previous chapter. So eventually Tom heads down to the dungeons and he's confronting Hagrid, who's a student at the time. Uh, he says that he needs to turn him in and that the monster that uh, Hagrid has isn't a good pet. So it's revealed that uh, Hagrid's actually caring for this pretty large spider and Hagrid is trying to, uh, to hide it but however it escapes in the chaos. Tom attempts to cast a spell on it but Hagrid jumps on on Tom to prevent it. So Harry emerges from the diary and Ron enters and Harry, Harry reveals that Hagrid was the one who opened the Chamber of Secrets 50 years ago. So that, that's, that's, that's a chapter there. Yeah. Some good info. Bold, bold assumption for sure. <laughs> Some some interesting some interesting stuff went down for sure. It's more of a short point, but I guess like this is kind of the start of the the Ginny Harry love interest angle or storyline. Maybe I don't know. Like sort I've of. never like, I guess I've I, never really been sold on them as like a a couple. So so, so it's funny because I mean it's, it also starts earlier when she's uh, too embarrassed to even like, yeah. be in the same room as him, but. I don't know why she would send a singing Valentine. No one in their right mind wants that. No, in uh, front a of secret everyone. A secret Valentine, sure, because it's a secret. Uh, but yeah, not a singing one. That's not a, not a good call. And I don't have the lyrics in front of me, but they were, it's like his eyes were as green as a pewter something. I, I can't even remember, but it is some pretty cheesy lyrics all, all involved with it. And having it sung by a little dwarf in wings and for some reason, I just assume that he's wearing a diaper too. It's not explicitly like described as these dwarves wearing diapers, but I feel like to complete the look, you'd have to be wearing a diaper and have a harp and, and wear wings. Yeah. But anyway, I don't know. I just I thought it was, yeah, again, like you said, a very interesting way to do it. Not really a good idea and clearly wasn't for the best, but that, that was more so just like a quick little tidbit that i yeah that's fair i also think you know another good example of malfoy being an ass in of that course. scenario when yeah. he calls Ginny out because it's not explicitly from her but he's just being a dick 
That's true. Yeah, that's, um, we touched on it a little bit last chapter, but I mean, like, we're starting to see a lot of similarities in, in Tom and Harry now. Of course, we know mm-hmm. this to be, to be Voldemort and in the air Slytherin and that type of thing. But I, I feel like Tom, I remember reading this for the first time and thinking like, oh, this Tom Riddle, like this Tom is like someone, he seemed trustworthy. He seemed like a good guy. He kind of seemed like... I think because there were so many similarities between him and Harry, it made you want, must think that he must be an okay person, like not wanting to be, go back to their home away from school because it's not the greatest of, of situations and yeah, and that type of thing. I don't know. I just, Tom gave me like a sense of trust, I guess. I trusted him, I think, the first time that I read through this. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's a lot of like, there's some really obvious similarities um, ones we already we will or will be revealed later, but like the wand connection, the parcel tongue connection, like some of those ones that that aren't mentioned here. But even just the stuff that we kind of get in this chapter in the last one, the lying to the headmaster, the fact that Dumbledore kind of sees through them. The, but then, like those are sort of things I think could could happen to anybody. But then some of the more specific ones that you mentioned, like to them, Hogwarts is home. Like mm-hmm. like that, like that's like a big one. That's like not a. It's not something either of them chose. It just happened to them, right? Like, so they're both half-bloods. That's not something they, like, that's, that's just like, that's like a whole bunch of people. That's nothing, that's not particularly unique, but they're both half-bloods who have a terrible upbringing in the muggle world that now Hogwarts is home. That is very unique to them. Is is Harry considered a a half-blood because his mom comes from muggle? Is that how it works? Yeah, it's confusing. Remember, we, we talked about this a bit earlier, but we didn't quite know what's the, but it's, he had I think maybe not quite the same because his mother was a witch, but she was muggle-born. So it's like, what's the, what's the term? I don't know if we ever, I don't know if we ever found out what that term is, but. It's true. Yeah. Because it wouldn't be pure by, by that standard. Right. But then I also thought they both have this like need to investigate everything. And so for Harry, like in this book, just in this book, as an example, we have him obsessed with finding out what's going on with the chamber of secrets. But for Tom to even know, about Hagrid and, and the spider, he had to have already been looking into it. He had to have been investigating this, investigating that. Like, we know, yes, he's not investigating the chamber because he already knows all about it. But in order for him to get away with some of this other stuff, he has to be like always searching for this knowledge. Now, the, the reasons they're searching for the knowledge are different. That's what separates them. But that yes. is what they're doing. Yeah. And ultimately, at that time, you assume that he's, because I feel like you associate him with Harry so early on in the book that you assume that he's investigating for the purpose of good. But yeah, no, that's a very good point that it's, it's very much a, a very different uh, motive that, that Tom has in the end here. Um, yeah. It's, it's just kind of an interesting way. I like how the diary is used. I like that um, Ron, like when the book drops and it's a mysterious book and Harry doesn't think twice about picking it up, how it's Ron being like, you got to be careful with like strange books that you just find around because you don't know what will happen when you open it, and read it and that type of thing. So, I mean, it's kind of neat to see, yeah, just how, what exactly this mysterious book holds in, holds for them. I mean, it's kind of also similar to the, it's not literally, don't you put it in your mouth, but again, it's another item that <laughs> Harry should have been careful with i mean Ginny got the effects of it and and even the way that that the diary is described as harry just having this weird urge to wanting to be around it and wanting to investigate it and wanting to learn more about it like there there is obviously that that bit of dark entity around it that he just can't get away from the allure of yeah definitely it, it, they are very similar and i think that's sort of like the underlying theme sort of that we're going to see the more and more we get into Voldemort, but it, it's uh, interesting to see like their upbringings here, like outline like that. Um, so what, what did you not um, remember about this chapter? I had kind of forgotten that they had um, made the connection to the chamber to the, uh, uh, being opened 50 years ago to the book that was 50 years old. I had kind of forgotten that that specific connection was made. I had also kind of forgotten about the whole Valentine's Day thing and the dwarf. And yeah, I, I, didn't, Valentine. I didn't remember the, I didn't remember the Valentine's either. Yeah, so that was um, new. And then just like a small one, I, I had assumed that at the time uh, Dumbledore was still, I knew that Dumbledore was around during the first 
chamber opening, but I just assumed he was still headmaster at that time. But we uh-huh. learned in this chapter that he was actually no, just it's Armando Dippet. Yeah, yeah, he was defense against the dark arts at that time. I didn't remember the Valentines. I also forgot that Hermione was like cooped up in the in the medical spot, whatever that's called, yeah. the infirmary for for multiple um, for multiple weeks. Yeah, I'd recalled that. I'd recalled that part. Um, I'd forgotten that, like it was made, like it increased the rumors or whatever of her being um, attack the one to be attacked next, which was kind of interesting. But yeah, I'd kind of recalled that she spent a little bit of extra time because the polyjuice potion did not work as effectively when you want to turn yourself into a cat. Apparently, anything that stuck stuck out to you here of things that didn't make sense. Um, I touched on it a little bit earlier and it's kind of minor, but like Harry was so quickly to trust this book and want to touch it and maybe he should have been a little more open to Ron's suggestion that these unknown books can be really dangerous. So it kind of seemed like Harry just kind of brushed that suggestion and that knowledge aside in this in this chapter. Yeah. So, I mean, this is what I was going to talk about when we got to LVP for my LVP case for Harry is he just took everything he gleamed as truth. And I was thinking about it as you were doing your recap. They did get a lot of, uh, they did get a lot of like outside high level assurances that Tom Riddle was a good guy. He had these awards, like they hadn't heard about him being a bad guy, like, but they just sort of then took everything as, he's just, Harry just sort of took everything as truth. But I don't know why they thought they needed to investigate the book at all. Like, A, why did they need to go find out why Myrtle was upset? I mean, that was a nice thing of Harry to do, but once they found the book, I didn't really know. And then if you see Riddle with all these special services to the school, you'd think there would be like a detailed record of why he got them. And I know they were sort of used as a cover-up, but because they were used as a cover-up, shouldn't that even have like made it more important to have like a cover story? Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good point. Like... Yeah, the fact that it's out there and that it's public and like well seen, like he's still, it feels like it's still being related to the ultimate fact that the the chamber was opened or that type of thing and that he was the one who prevented it. So I mean, by awarding him and, and acknowledging him right then and there that he was the one who stopped it even though they're saying oh the chamber had never been opened before it's it's a little bit of a contradictory history there that's a really good point mm-hmm. so i thought when they're when they're when they see all that stuff like shouldn't they be more interested in why he got all these awards especially now we have the diary yeah there would have been other ways to look into tm riddle at that point like that was was essentially what their next lead would have been and they could have looked into it a little bit more and the diary wouldn't have been my first place to for sure uh, any other thoughts on this chapter? Yeah, you you, t- you touched on it there, but like Harry wasn't very critical this chapter. Like he totally trusts. He was He totally trusts in someone else's memory. Um, meanwhile, should know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's something that you learn as you get older. But people's memories aren't necessarily the most accurate thing to be basing fact and fiction off of. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that was being told from a very specific perspective and in a very specific way to manipulate Harry. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. I'm reading a Tiger Woods documentary right now. And it's very, it's like a really interesting book to absorb because it's pretty much like they they didn't talk to Tiger or anyone currently close to him. Mm. They only talked to people who used to be close to him and now they're not close to him. So there's this level of like anti-Tiger bias, even in the stories they're getting and the perspective on the stories they're getting. So it's very interesting. It's like, okay, somebody recounts a memory they have of an event. Like there's an example of his high school girlfriend just randomly gets dumped by a letter in the middle of a golf tournament. And it's like, that's, that's her recount. I'm not saying she's lying. Yeah. But that's probably not everything. Yeah. No, and so that's... this is the same sort of thing. It's like, here's a recount of a memory. And I know they go to talk to Haggard. So they don't just immediately assume Haggard did it. But I'm like, I mean, but they did. They did assume he did it. Mm-hmm. But then they go at least to talk to him to confirm. But it's like, hmm, does all of this still compute? Like, there's just, just a little bit of stuff um, in there. 
No. I thought it was nice of Harry to care about wounding mortal feelings. Like that's one of those very small things that Harry does that most people wouldn't is he, he just genuinely cares for anyone he meets because nobody ever cared for him at all growing up. So there was a comment at one point about the Mandrakes acting moody and secretive. <laughs> and that was an indication that they were growing up. And I like that. I thought that was I, just a fun little I, moment. That was, that was one of my quotes that I, that I had. Like Madame Pomfrey was pleased to report that the Mandrakes were becoming moody and secretive, meaning they were fast leaving childhood very funny line and saying that once they clear from their acne or whatever that they'll be good to use their anti-paralyzing or whatever it is anti they're whatever they are natural pathogens to help these petrified students but yeah I, I like I like that line a lot um I guess if we are we good to go with some quotes I got a couple yeah. more yeah, yeah. Um, another one that I also really enjoyed was when Harry is asking Myrtle what's wrong and she's like I was sitting in the U-bend thinking about death so I, I love that as a ghost she's still thinking about it it's very bleak and very Myrtle and, and just a very funny line and then another one I actually don't have down who it was it must have been Ron because it, it is Ron Lyon but when they're talking about the heiress Slytherin maybe he Myrtled, murdered Myrtle that would have done everyone a favor which is it's it's funny and then also just kind of revealing again because there's multiple it seems like there's multiple points in these past two chapters where someone says something and they don't realize how close they are they're very close to figuring it out yeah i uh, i also had a ron quote down this is what i mean like ron is funny in the books that is his that is his main attribute to the team is like he is the quick-witted like dry humor guy Mm -hmm. look what i had was is Lockhart the smarmiest bloke you ever met or what? And I just really like the word smarmiest. Yeah. And it's just like these are the things that the movies failed at with Ron. He well just, yeah, they, they turned him like like you said, he's quick witted and funny he's quick witted funny in the books, but he's dopey sidekick laugh at funny in the movies yes. instead of laugh with. So Exactly. Yeah. Uh I have nothing left to talk about on this chapter. I think we can move on to to select our MVPs, LVPs, uh, unless you have anything else you want to add. Yeah, no, I've I've got a couple of uh three three here LVPs that I had put up. Um okay. there there is a portion during the kerfuffle um in the hallways where Harry does use Expelliarmus and Percy is there and he's trying to manage the situation. And Percy is like, you know, his typical self, you better stop because I'm a prefect. And he's so little respected by both Malfoy and Harry that neither listened to his demands to stop. And he just totally lost control of the situation. Um, I also put Tippett in there or Hogwarts. I don't know which one it would be for covering up their shortcomings and kind of lying to the public about what really happened with the chamber i realized yeah that that's coming, a good call i realized it's kind of coming from from riddle's memory but I, I think that's that's fact isn't it that they did indeed try to cover it up and that they're trying to erase that that well, i think absolutely history. that's that that sort of earlier on we sort of had some complaints about how do people not know about this like how is this it's only been 50 years like how did all this go down and i think that was part of it is they they put a cover up on play and uh, you know, 1992, so 50 years before that, 1942, whatever, sometime in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to do cover-ups because there's just not as much um, communication things out there. So Yeah. No, that's exactly it. So, I mean, yeah, I just, I don't know. You, you get into kind of, you could open up a whole other can of worms about Hogwarts and the the more political side of it and what they do and don't do because Hogwarts isn't necessarily just going to be like this magical place that's full of positivity and rainbows and stuff like it seems like there's obviously some pretty seedy stuff that has happened within the administration itself over the days and that's an example of it um third example I had for LVP is our our friend Glittery because anytime he's mentioned he is worthy of it thinking that he took down the monster himself by literally doing nothing i don't know how much of a sociopath you'd have to be to think that you and you alone solved it when you literally did nothing so those were those were the options but i think 
I'd have to go with the, the second of them. Um, I get, like, he's only going to get one ever, but I guess like this Professor Tippett or whatever his name is, because I think that's just a, it's a super shady thing to, to have to do to, to cover up your history. And instead of addressing it and trying to get better from it, you just kind of sweep it under the rug. Because if it maybe if it had been actually dealt with and addressed the first time around, then maybe it wouldn't be repeating itself here. I, as I mentioned before, I'm going Harry here. I just, I think I have a little bit of higher expectations of, from him than I would necessarily some other characters. Mm-hmm. And specifically here, I don't understand why he just became so obsessed with the book up front. Like, I don't know what triggered the obsession with the book. Okay, they found a book, somebody threw it, there's nothing in it, it's old. I've always I've always assumed that it's something within the book itself that whoever's holding to him. onto it has some has some kind of power in it to draw it because it kind of does that's the same to it kind of does the same to Ginny, right? Like Ginny no, becomes kind of obsessed with the book. No, you're right. And I don't think that it was just Ginny herself and it is very unlike Harry himself to get us like drawn to it that way, but I think it's something within the book itself. Well, that's good. Okay, that's a good call. That's a good call. But my bigger issue with Harry here is that for somebody who's usually so measured, he just accepts what Tom tells him yeah. without any questions. Mm-hmm. And like memories can be lies. And I know he's a young kid. And, would, and sometimes it's not fair for us to put expectations of what we would do in this situation. But he just is, it's so out of character for him to just accept something like this, especially about one of his good friends. So mm-hmm. to me, I went with Harry Potter again. No, nope, that's uh, valid. Is that double Harry Potter for you? It is a double Harry Potter for me. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's come up a couple times. He's not, he's not doing as well this book as he was the first book, but that's okay. Cause he's a real, it means he's a real character. Well, so. yeah, that's a very good point too. You got to have a little, you got to be balanced out. You can't just be all one or the other in order to, and, and I do, as a major character. And I do imagine towards the end of the book, we might see some good moments for Harry. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, MVP, I, I had a little bit more of a challenging time with this. I actually, had, I actually had Harry as one of my options, but even my, my reasoning isn't very strong. It's like, oh, he's just kind of there. And then I said, <laughs> good on sticking with the book and thinking there's more to it, though. But then, meanwhile, we kind of just touched on that previously, where it, it might, might have not been have the been book. him; it might have been the book yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, I had to go with Ron this chapter. I mean, I feel like he, I because of last Ron. chapters, um, you know, some some good quotes in there, some good dry humor, and basically just kind of being aware that like these unknown books can actually be quite dangerous and shouldn't be picked yeah. up or or used. No, I so, thought that was a uh, he's an excellent choice. I had considered him as well. So I yeah, also, that's who I went with. I also considered Hermione because in about 10 seconds, she connected the diary, the award, and the Chamber of Secrets all together. Just like that. Yeah. And that became very important for their investigation. So I thought that was like the number one reason I am going to choose Hermione. Mm-hmm. And that was the number one reason. But she also like didn't let being a cat human keep her from the things she likes to do, which is schoolwork. So she got all her school stuff brought to her. Didn't worry too much about it. Got out of there. So I, I liked Hermione in this, in this chapter. It was good bounce back for her for sure just yeah still wanting to be engaged in school um yeah good on ron and harry to kind of be involved in helping her through that good on madame pomfrey for preventing her from being seen by everyone who wanted to sneak looks at her as a cat but yeah she she came through and yeah i think the the crucial point there is just how quickly she could connect those dots which are Mm -hmm. something that generally she's very good at that ron and and harry don't necessarily touch on or realize well harry often does like he, he's his good detective but that's not one that he did so that's why i thought it was extra impressive that hermione did excellent yeah i agree so that's it for this week um we'll be back next time a uh, couple couple chapters coming up next week chapter 14 is titled cornelius fudge which will be all about uh the ministry's look at what's going on at hogwarts currently not about dessert not about dessert, unfortunately. And then chapter 15, Aragog. So that's about the time where the plot is about to really take off. So yeah, I think we have about one more chapter of setup. 
and then the plot really kicks off spiraling towards the end of the book. Yeah, How many chapters are in this book? I uh, think overall there are... There's not too many seven, left. 18, seven. I want to say. I think there's 18 as well. I think we have next week. And then, yes, we have next week. Um, and then we have the week after. We're only doing one chapter. And then the week after that, we'll wrap up the book with two more chapters for a total of 18 chapters. So we're getting towards the end. We're, re we're really getting towards the end. We're, mo we're moving along here. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I can definitely get a sense of, of yeah, things really, really picking up here at this point. Yeah. Um, everyone's decisions kind of having extra value or extra incentive and more meaning. So yeah, we're, we're going to get into some, some good stuff coming up. And, and I'm, I'm feeling that, that, that feeling again that we had near the end of the first book where it's like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to keep actually going through everything because we're, yes. we're, we're building up. So yeah, we are definitely yeah. building up. It's been good. So we'll be back next week. If you, and before that, if you want to check us out, kind of where can people uh, interact with us here? Yeah. Check us out Instagram at Harry Potter reread podcast. Give us an email, Harry Potter reread podcast at gmail.com. And we'll be back. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm David. That was Kyle. Bye.